0: Hello everyone and welcome to the Royal Automobile Club talk show in association with Motorsport. I'm Ed Foster and I'm joined by Motorsport's editor Nick Trott. Thank you very much for joining us and the great Dario Franchitti. Thank you so much for joining us today. Now we've got loads to talk about. We've got lots of readers questions, but most importantly it is Nick's birthday. So um, thank you so much for joining us on your birthday. I'm sure you have far better things to do. But uh, you're here. And I would sing you happy birthday. But my voice is terrible. So um, thank someone you. Else, someone no. else can do that.
1: Oh, this is a great way to spend my birthday. very Thank
0: you. We haven't started yet. You don't know what I'm gonna be asking you. Um, now, uh, I must also say that this is my last talk show for the club and the last podcast for motorsport. Um, I just wanted to take this opportunity to thank you all for listening. We started them back in 2009, and the first one we got 600 listeners. Uh, Despite that, we've plowed on, and now we get about 100,000 of you tuning in every month, so thank you. Without you, these wouldn't have happened. Um, Thank you also to Alan, who has been recording these almost from the start, but he's been much more than that. He's been a great friend, a great mentor and everything I've got right is because of him. Um, And the amount that he's edited out that was terrible, you would be astonished about So thank you, Alan. Um, Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you also to our guests who turn up a month in, month out, don't ask for anything in return um, and give us amazing content. So thank you.
2: We're not getting anything.
0: I, thought, I was taught. Talk- I, I think Nick's agreed to give you a, quite a big check for this one, but anyway, I'm, I'm, I won't be here. Cup so, cup <laughs> chocolate biscuit—not my budget. Um, so, no. Thank you to the guests. It's been an honour and a privilege to to be a part of these. Um, so, and what better way to finish than, than with with Darius? So, thank you for joining us today.
1: And we should thank you as well, Ed. you you've. you've um, I think you've set the standard actually for these podcasts. It's interesting. A very to low see. one. <laughs> <laughs> no, pat yourself on the back. You have you have done a really good job, and it's interesting to see some you know some other racing titles have, have put a lot of effort into their podcast recently. And I think that's because of the standard that you've set. So you reintroduce me to motorsport as well, actually, via the podcast. So I oh, think right. you know, and I know, speaking to readers, you've you've done that. So you know, we'll miss you, and um, you've done a great job. But uh, onwards and upwards, eh? Yeah.
0: Indeed. Well, I'd, I'd, I'm sure I'd, everyone will see me sort of around and about at, at Goodwood's, um doing various bits and pieces. But let's, let's get started with the podcast. That's what we're here for. Um, we're not here to sort of tap ourselves on the back too much. Um, Darryl, last time I saw you, uh, we were at the Motorsport Hall of Fame down at Woodcut Park, um, the club's based down there. And you were driving a McLaren M6 up the Captain's Drive, which for anyone who sort of hasn't seen it, it's about four foot wide, um, quite old tarmac, and you had cold tyres. Um, <laughs> how was it?
2: Um, <laughs> it was amazing, first of all. <laughs> it was absolutely brilliant. And the, the good news was the guys from Holland Hall had really... Pumped the tires up, and they told me they'd pumped the tires up. They said you're not going to go quick around a corner, are you? I said no, I'm just going to try and do a burnout. Is that okay? They kind of all went, oh yeah, 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 absolutely. And um, the driveway was just slightly wider than the M6, so when I got it at a little bit of angle, it was pretty close at both ends, and it was wonderful. It was a great evening, uh, but the highlight was for me was definitely driving the uh, the McLaren M6 and. And seeing Freddie Spencer in a dinner suit <laughs> on a <laughs> two-stroke Grand Prix bike, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was yeah. amazing. When he, when he arrived, he, he brought all his stuff in
0: this massive bag that sort of dwarfed him. And he said, I, "Is it all right? I'm not going to try his accent." But he was like, "Is it okay just to do it in my jacket and tie?" And I was like, mm, "If anyone can handle it, it's probably Freddie Spencer." So um, yeah, it was, yeah, it was good it was to see him. Very um, cool. Very cool. in It is sort of helmet colours, but then dinner jacket.
2: Excellent. Um, yeah, as somebody said, if James Bond did <laughs> MotoGP. Yeah. Yeah, so true.
1: He wore his gloves though, as well. Did you know? Yeah, he yeah, did yeah. a helmet, gloves. Yeah. But
2: that's, that's what they say,
1: isn't it? Well, You know, if if nothing else, helmet, gloves. Yeah, you yeah. Know? I did so. I'd
0: I, d- I, d- um, I should mention Andrew Frankel actually, who the year before drove up the captain's drive in his dinner jacket, but with race boots on. <laughs> Which <laughs> well, that's <laughs> just that's what Andrew wears. Yeah, that's, d- that's what he wears all the time. It before or since? <laughs> <laughs> it's quite a combination, really. Yeah. yeah. Um, right. So uh, d- we we should get get going, but the. Um, big news, obviously, Fernando Alonso Indy, and you wrote a great piece for the Motorsport website before he went. we just after the news was announced, um, and you said uh, uh, he's not going to tr- struggle with speed,
2: but it's going to be the racing and the traffic. Um, how did you think he did? Uh, brilliantly in the race as well. I mean, his qualifying performance was was very good. I wasn't that surprised with that. What he did in the race, the way he he sort of he adapted to, to oval racing and adapted to to the the constantly moving environment because it it's all depends on on a place like Indianapolis on in a race where people position their cars relative to yours and you've got to move that around and he he just you could tell he studied a lot before he even got in it and the first practice race runs they did as a group because groups tend to form in practice even and just watching the way he worked through the groups and the watching his learning process he's obviously very very smart but he was a student of the whole thing and he he gave Gilles De Ferran a lot of credit. You know, he said it's qualifying he said was you know I, I felt that was me just getting right on the limit and Gilles, he said but gil really taught me what to do i listened to him and and then Gilles said t- to me later on he said you've got no idea how good this boy is um i said well, i think i have <laughs> <laughs> and he said but no he said he's a, he's, a, he's an exceptional talent and um no he he was right in there he was right in that sort of fight obviously the cars were very good the Andretti cars were fast but he did a very, very strong job, and um, not only in the car. I was m- as impressed with what he did out of the car. His attitude, because obviously an open, an open paddock an in indie car, you can be walking along um, as a fan, and you know Alonso will walk straight past you. There's the car, so the access is a lot different than F1, and he handled it brilliantly. And when he got out of the car, when the when the engine uh, had its problem, um, he the cheer that went up, um, mm. I think said it all. And he didn't get spooked
1: either by the accident, you know, Bordet's accident, which was, you know, frightening for us all to watch. A driver of Sebastian's experience and speed on ovals for him to hit the wall that hard. It didn't, I don't know whether it affected him or not, but he didn't didn't lose any speed, did he,
2: Fernando, from that? He's obviously very mentally strong. Oh. Obviously, what he's, he's gone through the past couple of years. He's, he's built up a tolerance, but there's one thing building up a tolerance to a bad result. is another thing building up a tolerance to, to what, what he witnessed. And you know, we are talking on Sunday night about... Dixon's accident, and he said, "He said I saw an engine and a gearbox. He said, i 'I'm wondering where's the rest of it,' and then he got right back after it. And oh. that that takes a certain a mental toughness to, to do that. And he, he had it. It would be great to have him back in in IndyCar or you know in the Indianapolis 500 again, if if that's what he wants to do. But just watching what he did in Canada, he, he looks like a different person, doesn't yeah.
1: he? Would you say?" Which you say it was a flawless performance? I mean, everybody has been singing Fernando's praises, but, you know, if we... I know it's mean to be critical, but are there any areas where you think, do you know what, just a tweak there, a tweak there, maybe next time?
2: Well, of course, but every driver does that. No driver does a flawless race. Um, no, they don't. And he, obviously, if he, if he does it again, I think he will come back stronger, whether the car will be as, as good... Relative to the rest of the field is, is another question, um, and that's obviously one of the, the the things you have to deal with as a, as a driver, but yeah, there was nothing you saw and thought, oh, he really messed that up, or he really messed that up, you know, pit stops were, again, it's all, this is all alien to him, the way it all works, nailed that, the start must have been a little dicey for him, he lost some places, but ugh. He, was, he, he got back up to the front, got back up to the sharp end, and raced everybody with a lot of respect.
0: I think, I think that was one of the things that struck me was the amount of respect he had for the race because he, the amount of, you were mentioning his preparation, he obviously watched thousands of hours on YouTube, uh, on boards, everything like that, but he also would do hours in the simulator before practice or something and then go to the track. Um, and instead of his preparation, he obviously was soaking it all up. And I think as a two-time Formula 1 world champion and people always telling you, oh, you're arguably the greatest driver in Formula 1 at the moment and people telling you that all the time.
2: To go to the indy 500 and actually respect it yeah. says a lot about him yeah he went there with his eyes wide open realized it was going to be a challenge and you know, anybody that's worked with him with him is they've all said that to me yeah this this guy's a worker he, he he's got a lot of talent but he works and you can tell that he's got this relentless energy about him and he just wants to keep improving and all he's interested in is racing cars it looks like all he wants to do um but again it's that word respect he had a respect for the the race for the drivers he was competing against he wasn't sort of uh, he was very respectful of them and them of him too it wasn't a case of they all wanted to beat him absolutely but they wanted to beat everybody but they they you could tell there was this sort of camaraderie went on between them and it was the fact that he'd come over to do it and um and became you know one of the I was going to say the boys but obviously we, you know we had some girls in the race too and you know whether it was in the bus lot it, it, it just it all worked and it was it was great and i will say it wouldn't it, it wouldn't probably have happened in the Ron era, and you've got to take your hat off to to Zach Brown for having the the, the sort of the the vision and the and the balls basically to to go to the 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 bosses upstairs and say this is what we want to do, um, and they were their man servers walking down pit lane during qualifying, and I saw Indy Lyle at race weekend, <laughs> so the whole team was 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 getting into it. Um, now, sort of since the race, I think
0: Hamilton made some comments about the fact that, oh well, if you can qualify fifth against people who do it all the time, then that says a bit about the drivers. And then there's been this sort of slight spat between IndyCar drivers and, and Hamilton. Um, wh- what's going on there? Is it just a bit of ignorance?
2: Or you know, I was asked this question the other night at um, at the dinner at the Hall of Fame dinner. Um, and I sort of said, you know, well, did it, Did Lewis actually make those comments? Well, he hasn't sort of come back and said, no, I didn't make them. Um, uh, it's a la- it is that lack of respect. He has no idea what he's talking about. Um, and at the time, he just qualified the Mercedes 14th at Monaco. Um, <laughs> well, it wasn't great timing, was no, it? No, it wasn't great timing. Um, and, and Lewis is obviously a very, very capable driver. Um, but, yeah, it just, it, it wasn't a... It, to be, you know, being a great driver is one thing, but it just was kind of classless comment. And to 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 make that comment with no no knowledge of of what it's going on, you know, I don't have a knowledge of what it's like to only have to go out and race one person, you know, um, and come second, and come second. Exactly. He he doesn't know what it's like to 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 race against these guys in Indianapolis 500. Fernando Alonso does. He 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 can comment on it and say, "Wow, those guys were good, or they were better than I thought, or you know what." <laughs> mm. they weren't that good That's, he can make that comment now because he's done it and um, you know Lewis sometimes does that though he's, everybody's got their flaws and, and, and Lewis occasionally sounds off about stuff he really doesn't know about yeah it was. Uh, if he I mean if he said it it
1: wasn't very stylish and actually not very stylish for him either because he does respect the history of racing you know it's, it, it's clear he does but uh, I don't know it, that slipped through the net I think that one so um, the only thing I can think of that he should do is give it a go yeah, exactly. And he
2: might have been having a bad day too. And trust me, we've we've all said bad things. But yeah, if if you feel that way, have a go. Because actually, the, well, maybe not in in his world, but in my world, that's the prize money is a fair chunk of change. So if it's that easy, come along and have a go. Um, there's uh, there's quite. We got
0: I mentioned before we got loads of readers' questions. Um, I've got pages and pages of them here, uh, and I was going to come come to them in a second. I got one here from Glenn Alcock. Um, uh, just relating to this and he said um, Darryl, if you could have had a one off appearance in the Monaco Grand Prix in a front running car with practice time, would you have missed the Indy 500 for it?
2: Glenn's a good man actually, <laughs> he, he was at the 500 last year um, he's a good supporter of uh, actually the young the young Scottish guys coming up and the young Scottish drivers, <coughs> would I have done that? With hindsight I might have given 06 a skip because the car was never competitive <laughs> from start to finish Um yeah, nah. I mean, it, I always well, put it this way: from oh seven, every time I sat in the car, maybe not so much the last year we weren't really competitive, but seven, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, we were in with a f- shout every every time I showed up at Indianapolis. Um, so, no, nah, I wouldn't have given up any of those chances. Uh, again, with hindsight, oh six was a bit crap. Um, I might I might have said <laughs> okay, um, but the, the five hundred meant. A massive amount to me um and that was the, the the path my my life went was was over to america and indycar um if you'd asked me that question when i was 17 it would have been a much a much different answer yeah.
0: and uh, we should we shouldn't really talk about the indy 500 without mentioning taku um you know it's a, i can't think of a, sort of a more decent guy i've never met him but from wh- what everyone tells me who, kn- who knows him he's just such a lovely guy and for him to get that
2: win um was, was quite special i thought <laughs> Taku's a funny one Because he is He's such a lovely guy Um, And then you put him in the car And he's an absolute monster (laughs) To the the point of being sometimes Just mad And he goes for gaps That aren't there And you know On Saturday night He he, he cut across the grass And and took Dixon out Um, I've been taken out by him Before the restart Before (laughs) Actually before (laughs) The flag was waved He speared into me Um, We had obviously The coming together in 12 And my last crash was off the back of his car because his suspension broke but as aj Foyt pointed out to me he whacked it off the wall broke the suspension and when i tried to pass him he hit the overtake <laughs> uh, <we passed> <laughs> which <suspension>. caused which <laughs> caused the the, the problem ultimately accident but the the other side of him is he's an, he's a really lovely guy um out of the car and he did a, a flawless job at indianapolis in that race he did a really really nice job there was times he sort of half made a move i thought oh here we go and he backed out of it and used his head and then you know as i say sometimes he he, he tends to make those those crazy moves um his, his um sort of saying is no attack no chance yeah. <laughs> and sometimes there's a bit too much right. attack and yeah. it diminishes yeah. the chance yeah um there's there's a sort of slightly
0: related to this uh we got a question from anthony jenkins um he says paul tracy seems on the strength of his television commentary role to have mellowed um he's loose and witty i never saw him as such in his racing days when he was your teammate um how was he then and how did you find and how do you find him now
2: vt's yeah. always been witty he honestly he's always been the fun guy and when i first came over before i was his teammate he was one of the guys that straight away was was nice to me you know t- they tend to the more experienced guys tend to, to give the rookies a wide berth and and just sort of you know G- until they've sort of paid their dues or whatever, PT was straight up. Hey man, what's going on? And we, we remained friends throughout every one of those times we came together as teammates and everything. And he was always funny. Um, with his commentary role, I think he's relaxed into it to the point he is. He's he's very astute and he's 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 good value. Um, at the Phoenix race, I stayed with him. My my buddy Albert and I <laughs> stayed at at uh, the, the PT's ranch or whatever it is, um, and it was hilarious and Townsend bell was staying there too, and we were just laughing at paul um constantly because he's he's just he's in he's entertainment he, and um he was a he was a br- yeah a really a brilliant driver who sometimes was his was his own worst enemy, but that's why people loved him
1: he had a had a chance in a Benetton is that right In, yeah. in F1 he Tested in t- at Esteril. Yeah Did, do, you, do you see why I mean having You know raced him Do you see why He got that test Do you, do you think he had The pace to deliver
2: In, in Formula 1 Oh absolutely mm. Especially in those Early years I mean when we, when we Became teammates It was sort of 98 was our first season And I think he He went through A he he wasn't maybe as sharp as he had been those early years um then he went back and won the 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 the, the, the champ car championship in in '03 but he was yeah um he maybe just wasn't as sharp back then poor, yeah he had pace to spare um and i will say that with paul even in those days when he wasn't quite over a lap uh, as as maybe as quick as as, as as i managed you know i would start in the pole or whatever 20 laps into the race you look in the mirror and here he is and you just think oh god because you knew you knew if there was a chance to pass he would he would do it and even if sometimes if there wasn't a chance to pass he'd have a go um but yeah nothing nothing but love for pt I'm
0: um, talking about commentary roles how are you defining E and your your role there because you've literally just come back from berlin for the e-pre e- um how, to, how are you finding it because it is a lot of our listeners and readers Think it's interesting. Think it's something different. Um, and a future of motorsport, not the future. Um, and then a lot of listeners and readers um hate it. I think it's probably uh, the pl- yeah, yeah.
2: It's definitely marmite with with I think um, you know, people who are traditionalists. Some people think, oh, that's quite interesting. Others are yeah, they d- they don't like it. Um, I agree with you. I think it's a very well put. It's it's a future of motor racing. Is it going to replace F one? Is it going to replace IndyCar or those things? No, but Electri- electrification is, is a big part of, of what we're going to see on the roads um, and you know, going back to sort of the 60s, 70s and before that the, the race cars of today being the street cars of tomorrow so there's a lot of development going on there um, and, and the manufacturers love it because they can do that, they can put their money behind it and they can sort of get a return on that investment, plus it's good racing good teams, good drivers is good racing, is it perfect yet? No, um, and but it's, it's constantly a evolving and the the guys that are running it alejandro and those guys have kind of caught in 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 a bit of a a tough spot because the manufacturers are like well we want to develop battery technology and we want to update our motors all the time etc etc then you get into sort of a a cost war whereas they're saying whoa whoa, whoa, hang on calm down we're going to have a a, you know one battery for all we're going to have a spec part because we need to control that Otherwise, can you imagine the costs of of of, of the, the the increase of, of cost in in the battery technology? And for an example, one thing they've done well, they've said, look, this isn't an aerodynamic formula; it's fixed aero. There is no aero. Basically, the, you know, you see people bash your wing off, and it still goes <laughs> as fast. <laughs> it's mega. The, the 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 tires are are you know, it's a Michelin tire. It works in the wet and the dry. Um, they get two sets for the day. Everything happens on one day. They get two sets for the day, one for each car, and. I think they should keep that, and and not sort of start working with the chassis and all that. Just have one chassis. It's a powertrain formula, and you don't need to be sort of chasing F1. And I think they've got quite a clear sort of vision on that as well.
1: I'm kind of the other way. I'd li- I'd I'd like to see a freedom in battery. The the development of battery tech because at this point in the next three to four years or so is the crucial point for electrification of road cars um, and we haven't been able to genuinely say that there's a road to race transfer in motorsport for quite a long time and I think we could if if there was, there was the freedom in battery tech. Now I know the costs would go out of control but manufacturers will spend whatever money they, yeah. they want to spend.
2: That you know. I think though that is the problem, it's is simply the cost of it. Um, you have the have and have nots but that's part of life isn't it that's um it's um obviously the the speed of the cars is going to go up and that's one of the the areas that they they struggle with a little bit right now because the technology that was available um you know three years ago two years ago is 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 much different than what we've, we've got available today
0: um, I just mentioned the sort of one set of tyres. But we, we limit ourselves to one set of tyres when we go off with historic Knobs to uh, some of the race meetings we're doing this year. We can't so. talk about that. We're <laughs> d- we
1: embarrassed ourselves the last time out, I think. <laughs> <laughs> will it um, I, I need to ask about the, the... You've driven the Formula E car. Yes. Um, do you think the performance of the Formula E car, as it evolves, could take it away from some of the city street circuits and onto the immolas and
2: the, uh, some of those circuits? I hope not. I hope it doesn't, um, I want to see more I want to see them give them more power yeah. um, there's, a, there's, a, there's two different sort of ways of looking at it, there's a new battery coming next year, it's going to be more dense, it's, um, th- they're going to have more usable energy, so you're going to use that to go longer or use that to, tur- to turn the, the dial up, yeah. I want to see them turn the dial up, Absolutely. because when you put them to 200 kilowatts in, in qualifying they look quite good, they, look, yeah. they slide around, you can hear the height, the pitch changes in the engine yeah. keep cranking up yeah. Because they already they're catching. You know, they're catching a load of slides. There's no grip. There's there's more power than grip in a lot of situations. That's fun. And than grip. Yep. right, <laughs> more power yep. than grip is, and that's <laughs> that. That's the way I I, w- I would like to see it go. Because obviously, with an electric motor, the torque just ramps up from zero yeah. straight away. Yeah. Um And that, that the acceleration of them is really is really something. But part of the the the, the great thing of Formula E is they get to race in places that. If we had internal combustion engines, unfortunately, we we just nowadays not are not going to get to some of these venues.
0: Yeah. It was uh, it was Tony Brooks, wasn't it, that said uh, f- a racing car should always have more power than its chassis can handle. Which Absolutely, I was, yeah, which I think is a um, nice way. Now, someone mentioned in the office. Um, apparently, you're fronting a campaign to educate drivers on the dangers
2: of concussion. At the moment, I wouldn't say fronting it um, because of my unfortunate experience um, with with concussions. You know, we, d- we did. Um, uh, something in America with the Road Racing Drivers Club, the RRDC, which Bobby Rahal and and his team have really re-energized um, over there. You know, guys like Mark Donahue and those guys did it in the in the sixties and seventies, but Bobby sort of started it again, and they have a a, a sort of a free tuition series online called Safe as Fast. And one of the things we talked about with with Steve Olvey, who has been my brain doctor for um, twenty years now, pretty close, and he was the the the, the cart um brain doctor for a long time um so we w- him and i did a, a, a sort of a tutorial on that and what to look for and everything um and then the guys in the fia now have started sort of talking about it a bit as well um just gi- giving experience and what to look for um because it's something that yeah if you're driving an indycar a formula one car WEC, okay you have an accident especially an car, you have an accident they basically the look and you've got accelerometers in your Earpieces, and it says you hit your head so hard, okay, let's do a concussion test with you. If you guys are racing this weekend and you, you, know, you crash the car, God forbid, you, you say, I don't feel very good, but you're not going to have a doctor saying you've hit your head at XGs, you should go and get checked. So it's just to sort of encourage people to what signs to look for and what to do. Yeah, we, Dario
1: and I talked about um, this couple of years or so ago when I bashed my head, and it didn't cross my, m- my mind that I had a form of concussion until we actually spoke you know, because I was quite happy that I didn't really seem to have any after effects around that time, but then, you know, over the months past, and Dario said, you probably had a concussion, you know, and it's and it's wow, we don't really know enough do we, about it, you know, we know when we've got a sore knee, or we know, <laughs> you know. Exactly, and
2: in, in the US because I've had the problem with the NFL, with the footballers and concussion, and, and the long term effects of that, they're learning every week, they're learning more and more and more, because the, these players, and the players' families are now saying, oh, well we're there's lawsuits flying around, so they need to figure out, which is yeah. great for everybody else, that they figure out, uh, you know, as much as they can about what's going on.
0: Because uh, rugby's very, well, he's much better on it now. Two years ago, it was it just wasn't taken seriously enough. Yeah. Um, and in a car, you, you're in a sort of a, a moving missile at 200 miles an hour. So the, the dangers are almost more acute um, than, I mean, to be fair. Some of those guys probably weigh more than a car, but... Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> yeah, John <laughs> Beatty and I... Yeah,
2: springs so d- to mind. John Beattie and I talked about it up in, up in Scotland. He came and did an interview with me at the house, and we talked about concussions, because him being an ex-rugby player, John's had a few fair hits to the melon as well.
0: Um, right, I should should ask some of these questions, because we, we have got loads, and if we're going to try and get through most of them... Um, I know it's you know, being your birthday, you probably want to get off and go and no, eat birthday no, cake. Is, honestly, things. this is a cool um, birthday. <laughs> uh, so, so I've got one from Jamie Smith here, uh, asking about your memories of winning at Rockingham. Um, how did it rank alongside the many other wins and what did you think of the circuit? It's a bit mean to
1: ask him about his memory after we talked about yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> sorry, I could
2: have phrased that, ra- ra- Jamie, ra- you should have phrased <laughs> that Rockingham, yeah. Yeah. hang on. <laughs> hang on. Now, uh, Rockingham was, to win there was timely, because I'd signed up to do what was then the IRL, which was an all-oval series, and I'd never won on an oval, so <laughs> thank God I did that. Um, to, to win in front of the home crowd, was that was really special. Um, I think I'm right in saying we were almost flat out around that little oval towards the end of the race, yeah. Seriously? It was absolutely... Wow. With the speedway wings on those things, yeah. it was mental. The speeds were out, out of control. It was, it was something... Um, something to behold i had a i think i had a, a unusually for bridgestone and firestone at the time i had a tire issue i thought i had a wheel bearing failure and I had a tire issue we pitted and paid off sequence and got to the front and off we went wasn't a great track for passing mm. um but that was fine when i was in the lead i was quite happy <laughs> <laughs> but to, to win in front both my grandmothers were there um which was cool my, my family a lot of my extended family was there um and again to win at home is uh is always special isn't it yeah
0: Oh, uh, I flat out around there. It's, it's from when when you go there as a, yeah. as a kind of a British fan. and I've only ever been to a couple of ovals in America. Um, it does look huge. I mean, it is massive, but it's tiny compared to some of the other ones. Absolutely. But yeah. Oof. Do you, do you get the the right foot peeling off the throttle and your brain's going, "What
2: on earth are you doing? Right foot, go back down again." We call it driver flat. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, uh, my, we we being the guys on the timing stand now, and I'm, you know my job yeah. at Ganassi um, is. You know, Working with the the team and the drivers and all that sort of stuff, and you know, occasionally we'll we'll be Max will come in and go, "Yeah, I was flat here." No, you weren't. <laughs> 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 yes, it was. Yeah. No, you weren't. Um, yeah, you. there's there's times that self preservation does take over. Um, we had a situation. Two thousand and nine, two thousand and ten. We test. We raced at um, Loudon, New Hampshire, which is a mile oval. It's completely flat. Well, completely flat. They they say there's some banking but it feels completely flat. And it's basically two hairpins. Long straights with tight hairpins. And we were able to go flat out in practice and I then convinced my engineer that if he trimmed it out I asked the question, I said, if you trim this out and I can get up to the same if I can get up to a higher speed then, will I have the same downforce that I had before? And he said, Yeah, but you can't lift because as soon as you go slower you'll be so I managed to convince myself To bury it for two laps and it's maybe the craziest thing i've ever done and we got pole position but there was that thing of i am not lifting and so you end up trying to push the throttle right through the bulkhead because it's the only way you know you're not going to lift that's,
1: that's just extraordinary. The fact also that it was calculated. I know we, we like to think, oh, that's just balls out, or whatever. But you, you'd worked out that the higher speed, more downforce, I can do this. And I trusted my engineer.
0: <laughs>
2: yeah. yeah, he's uh, I think he's as mad as I am. <laughs> Probably more so. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: we'd, we've got a question here from uh, P. Dizzle 99. D- I don't think that's his real name. Um, uh, Darry, can you please give us a good Greg Morse uh, story that most people don't know? Most of the greg stories
2: i can't tell you (laughs) (laughs) a greg story that most people don't know um i don't know if they know the bus trip story so we we um 98 98 um mid mid ohio 98 so we were greg max myself greg's like right we're gonna take my bus because we all had motorhomes at the track. It was 48-foot uh, you know, buses or whatever. We're going to we'll drive my bus from Mid-Ohio to Road America to the next race. So Max and I, yeah, mega, mega. None of us had driven the bus before. Um, so we'd swap shifts. We'd drive along with it. And one would, would, literally, as we were driving, one would walk out. The other would walk into the driver's seat. My stint was through the middle of Chicago. Um, but as, as it was going on, as this trip was going on, I was renegotiating my deal with barry greg was trying to get out of his players contract to go somewhere else which w- we later found out was penske and max was trying to negotiate with bobby rahal so we'd be driving along <coughs> and if you're in the driver's seat be like foam a drink yeah hang on hang on um can you can you take the wheel Get out, and they'd go back to the the bedroom, and the bus, shh, close the door, and they'd have the ne- we'd all have our negotiations, <laughs> and come back. through so, all right, oh yeah, yeah, good. Who was that? It's my mum, <laughs> <laughs> and it was so funny because we're obviously great pals, but we were you know we're rivals too. Um, as it happened, Greg had to to wait a year, and obviously tragically didn't didn't get to drive that Penske. Um, Max got his Rahal deal, and and I got my pay rise from Barry. <laughs>
0: And and at the time everyone just thought they got on with their mums really well
2: Exactly (laughs) You're very respectful to your mum
0: (laughs) So nice that you have that relationship Um, uh, uh, Ed Berg's asked quite a lot of questions um, And there's there's one here that I quite like Uh, I was wondering sort of What would you say your driving style was
2: most like And he's put brackets hint Rick Mears I'd love to be compared to Rick (laughs) Mears Um, I think in, in, in IndyCar Rick Mears is known as the Rocket. Uh, and Rick, while he was smooth um, and incredibly intelligent, still is I spent a day with him and I learned all this stuff I thought, crikey, could you could you not have worked with me? I'd <laughs> I might have won some more races when I did stupid stuff um, But Rick really loved a, a, an oversteery car and could handle it I was, up until late in my career, I didn't like that And I, I managed to develop a style to, to, to on the oval to drive an oversteery car um, I don't know who I would compare it to um, jackie taught me a lot i'm not saying i'm anywhere near nearly as good as jackie stewart but jackie taught me a lot that, that sort of smoothness um you know some guys were always on edge um for me on a road course or a street course you, if, if you watch the in car i think it was very difficult to tell whether it was on a warm-up lap or a pole position lap because i did put very minimal inputs into the wheel and a brake softly and all those things so i i think i had quite a quite a, a, a smooth relaxed style on the oval again smooth but i i, I developed a, uh, a a technique and i've developed a style where i could handle a, a car that was was oversteering
1: it's interesting uh, it, i
2: mean obviously your brother marino is a hugely accomplished driver as, as well would
1: you say there's a kind of a, a similarity in, in your styles is there like a genetic similarity in the way that you you guys drive
2: yes there is um i think your driving style comes from what you how what you grew up driving so yeah. the way my dad set up a cart when i was 10 i think really that th- that set the tone and i had to if i was going to change that style i had to consciously change it oh. um yeah marino and i style bizarrely and our feedback is very very similar we were at detona and we did we'd never driven together oh. and we went out and we blatted around and um we came in and the guy is like oh my god it's identical the way you approach a corner, the way you brake, the way you release the brake, w- everything about your throttle inputs—they're identical. So "This is bizarre." And w- my mum has often said, and my sister Carla, that we share a brain cell, so <laughs> it, possibly <laughs> <laughs> it, it possibly might be—it uh, might be true. Yeah. O- on the the Merino subject, we did—I um, don't know if I told this last podcast—we did um, Petit Le Mans, hmm. and we were teammates there, and I by that point won a, you know, a few indy car championships and a couple 500s and Marino was going very well in the in, in the uh the sports card one petite a bunch so it was like okay it's <laughs> great being your teammate but i want to be quicker than you <laughs> and he was quicker than me um on one lap on multiple laps th- especially through traffic he was quicker but they gave me some new tires i thought right i'm going to show you so i went off warmed the tires up went hauling down into Turn 1 at Road Atlanta, which in in that P2 car was a brush of the breakdown one, hard on it. Well, it's got a dip in the middle of the corner, and as it's compressed, it's snapped into the biggest oversteer, and I've all arms and elbows, and I managed to, to somehow, pure luck, not crash, and it's gone down the grass. Come in, I'm like, yep, coming in. So I come in, and they've had live camera back to the pits, and as I come down the pits, Marino is leaning over the wall, applauding. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, bro. Thanks, <laughs> Marino, yeah. <laughs> Brilliant.
0: So you were sort of talking about an oversteery car there and things, um, which I, um, I, I just find it sort of a weird thing, doing you know, 200 miles an hour and dealing with oversteer. Um, yeah, it's uh, 240 <laughs> when it's oversteering, yeah, exactly. and it's really. Um, so there's a question here from uh, Rafael Perez Diaz. Um, And he heard you once mentioning doing a four-wheel drift in a champ car at Indy, being the only way to to be really fast back then. Um, How on earth was that even possible? I I second that. Um, And why wasn't this part of the conversation on the sort of specialised media and things? Because he didn't hear it mentioned anywhere else or or see any of it.
2: Well, why wasn't it part of the conversation? Because at that time, you don't want anybody to know what you're doing. (laughs) Basically, the only person that knew what I was doing was, was Scott Dixon, because he was doing exactly the same thing. And... It was it was the, the sort of the last generation Indy car, actually, as opposed to the Champ car, um, because they had less horsepower in the Champ car, so you ended up setting them up much more aggressively, mm. and really in yaw a lot of the time. So you'd come up to Turn 1 at Indy, and if the wind was in the wrong direction, which it generally happens to be, for Turn 1, you would have to back it in, and as as you would basically... Imagine you're going down the straight, you're turning right the whole time because of the stagger and the tires and the offset of the the suspension, Mm. but the offset of the setup. The car wants to turn left, so you're turning right to keep it in a straight line. And your wheel is offset as well, so it sits like that from the straight ahead. So you've got about, I had quite a a, a number I liked, so say it was about 20 or 30 degrees of lock to keep it in a straight line. And then you start to turn in, and as you would turn in... Just you'd almost release the wheel and the back would just start to come round and you'd just catch it all the way in until it compressed into the banking and then it would build up you would be neutral and then occasionally you'd have a little understeer towards the exit. So you had to have it dancing on the way in to avoid a a death plough understeer on the way out. And it um I think in two thousand and ten the car was massively fast, but it did it every bloody lap every lap 200 laps and 2012 yeah. wasn't a lot better but th- that was a dw12 car and it didn't slide as nicely yeah. had a load of weight in the back and it would it would sort of snatch as it as it slid so you would have you'd have more snaps of oversteer as opposed to a nice consistent slide yeah. um, when i think about it now it's absolute madness but it felt totally normal uh, to do it at that point <laughs>
1: we've spoken before about when the the, the speeds of have gone really crazy, especially on the, sh- the short ovals. Um, did you ever feel like you got to a point where your reactions and reflexes weren't weren't quick enough for the speeds?
2: You know, if the car was gone, it was gone, you couldn't do anything about it. The champ cars were like that, you had to catch them on the first snap, and it was almost a, how I describe it, it wasn't a snap, it was a, you'd get this sensation, and you know what I'm talking about, when you're <laughs> oh, yeah. But what yeah. I mean by well, that the guys, number of it, uh, Indy 500 wins are uh, <laughs> so you're driving a lot, and you get that feeling of oh, it's just about to oversteer. Yeah. Well, it's much more subtle, but you just oh, and you just something in your senses and you're tuned into it is oh, oh. and as soon as that happens, you better catch it the first because if it went the second time, it was going to be big. Yeah. Um, so that's yeah, that so was, was kind of develop a sixth sense for it. You yeah, know, it's kind of. Yeah, you, you you do, and you're again. You've got to be so tuned into to what's going on. The only time I actually felt that I have no control here at all was Texas. That when everybody was starting to black out and um, they cancelled the race, and I I was hanging on to this thing. I, think I did I think two hundred and thirty five miles an hour average or two thirty seven around Texas, and I was not in control. Mm. i was just sitting there piloting it, and um, yeah, that was the one time I thought this is bloody madness. Yeah.
0: Um, so, uh, so a question here from Carl, um, who's uh, just very complimentary saying your, um, your driving talent propelled you to great and well-deserved success. Thank you. Um, I, he admires uh, the patience you showed Paul Tracy. Um, uh, and uh, But now that you've retired, um, d- d- did you ever, as, as he suspects, develop a technique to gently nudge other drivers who encroached by getting too close into or through a corner? The thought first occurred to him at Long Beach in 2012 when rookie... Uh, new
2: garden challenged into the
0: first corner and ended harmlessly in the tyre barrier
2: <laughs> 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 yeah that that was all actually my friend albert we talked about he it's his fault because he proposed to his now wife hillary on the grid right behind me i was about to step in the car and somebody sort of tapped me on the shoulder and my guys knew that if i was getting stepping in the car just to make sure nobody annoys me and i turn around and there's albert and he goes watch this and i thought oh what's he gonna do and then he got on his knee and I thought, shit, he's fallen over. <laughs> Sorry, I'm <maybe> not supposed <laughs> to swear. And he proposed to her, and Ganassi's going, what is going on? Anyway, first corner, Joseph's got a, quite a high regard for his ability. Um, and I was on new tyres, he was on used tyres, and he thought he was going go to go around uh, the outside. Um, so that I wasn't going to allow that to happen, or I wasn't going to try and let that not happen. But um, I think, with having seen video and how many years later, I just my front wing it was the dw12 and i think it was the first sort of year of the dw12 um and anytime any car i'd raced before this sounds like a bunch of driver excuses but (laughs) every car i'd raced before didn't have the the the, the wheel um guards at the back and literally my if you look at it my wing just taps his wheel guard and it was definitely not on purpose um and he yeah he he went in the wall there but I, i i'd been used to sort of judging the distance with no wheel guards and I um yeah I, I, I tapped in there. I, I wish I was that good that I could have done it on purpose <laughs> but um yeah that was uh th- so
0: that's so that's a yes I think to Carl's Carl's <laughs> uh, question. No, no it wasn't on
2: purpose <laughs> but it did happen.
0: It's
1: brilliant. I love the wheel guard
0: excuse. We we have
1: yeah, to exactly. wheel that yeah, one yeah I'm, I'm gonna remember that
0: one. The um <laughs> <laughs> uh, t- there's a t- I asked one of Ed Bug's questions earlier but it sort of relates to what we were just talking about. Um it was using mind games a tool that you used against opponents in racing? Um, it seems you always got on, uh, you always uh, got in Will Power's
2: head to the point he was his own worst enemy. I didn't intentionally do it. Um, the difference, you know, Will and I have actually become good pals and we talk a lot about racing, why we do it and all these kind of deep conversations now that we have. And if people from who watched us in, in you know, 10, 11 and 12 would go, What are you two. Um, but we kind of lived that together. Um, and th- because of that, there's kind of a brotherhood and there's a lot of respect there between the two of us. Um, and I like the guy. But at the time, I would never let people see me bleed. i never let people know that I was having a bad day. My job was to kind of, whatever was going on, deal with it, but never show it to the outside world, where Will, and still does, his emotions are on his sleeve. And so I just took advantage of that and, you know, my, my, by that point I'd won a couple of championships anyway, so I was quite relaxed about what I was doing and how I was doing it and knew what I had to do. And so, and Will was, still hadn't done it, didn't know how to do it um, and you know was, was sort of, he was still just cl- clawing to understand how to do it. So I, again, I just, I took advantage of it a bit, um, we laugh about it now. Him and, well at least i laugh about it now um the fact that you know he won a championship after retired which i like to remind him of but um but he he um i mean i think he just at the weekend he won in texas and I think that equaled paul tracy and i on the on the wins list so he's had a hell of a career so far and i think he'll keep going but um this this
1: sorry the, the this what point in your sort of racing education did you decide that you weren't you weren't going to show how how are you were feeling w- again is this your character
2: or is this something that yeah exactly the answer to that and i had a call from him last night i hadn't spoken to him in a, a long time tony mattis was the, the trainer at mercedes mm-hmm. um and tony worked on, on the mind the body everything and every time i went and damaged myself in america the first thing i'd do is jump on a plane to zurich and head to his place in, in Felkirk in austria and he sort of put me back together um with the you know with, with doc hovey doc trammell um and he called me last night and just said, hey, I saw you on, you must have seen it on, on TV from Formula E. And He was the guy that taught me, I think, he taught me mental strength. And he taught anything I, I anything I had in that regard, he taught me how to to, um, to to get to it and how to get to it and how to get to it consistently and how to sort of control your emotions, how to focus. And Jackie always talked about mind management, mm. but Tony really taught me how um i'll always be grateful to him for that and it was you know i, had a, I got beaten up in formula three Jan was my teammate yan did a great job went to dtm tony w- i listened to tony he taught me how to do it then i got to return the favor to Jan in in, in, in dtm <laughs> um but that was because of that and i i up until the last time i drove an car, i was still using what he taught me and i like to try and help the guys i'm working with today with that with, the, with that same advice
0: I mean, how much time? You are talking about the guys that you, you're helping? How much time do you spend on this sort from of the mental side? And because it's, it's obviously it's such a big part of racing, um, but it's very hard to quantify. Um,
2: it depends on the driver. You know, with with the four drivers, with, with each one needs a little something different. Um, Dixon Dixon's very mentally strong, so Dixon and I just kind of we we more chat about. Oh, we we sort of we. We have these conversations to, to, to get his mind working about what's going on with the car and stuff. And just like we used to do when I was driving, but obviously I'm not driving now. So it's not a case of a Scott, or you need to do this. Or have you thought? It's like, hey, have you thought about that? Um, just to try and be an extra teammate for him, really. You know, Tony gets very emotional. So with Tony, it's more keeping him calm. Um, Charlie, it's just sometimes getting the focus there. And then with with, with Max, um, Max has shown an incredible mental toughness this year because he had a really bad test at the start of the season and everybody was worried. And then he went and led fifty laps at Indianapolis. It was like, yeah, okay, that boy. He's just shown a toughness there. And you know, with Max, it, it it depends day to day what 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 he what he needs. But it was it was a lot of times trying to access that that inner hunger, and he bloody hell, he's found it. I'll tell you, and it's great to see. Well, what do you think of Max as a driver? Because he
0: he'd obviously, you don't win a GP2 race without being a fairly talented driver. Um, he's struggled in Formula 1, but he was in the back of the grid team. Um, yeah. and Consider I, the car. Yeah, exactly. So, but I think there were quite a few people who were saying, look, he's, he's here as a paid driver and, and that's it, which I think was perhaps a little bit unfair. Um, but he has, as you mentioned, he's kind of blossomed now. And is, is that, um, did he always have that? Or has something changed dramatically?
2: He's always had the talent to drive a car. No doubt. He's always had that talent, um, and certainly since he got in an Indy car. Um, but as I say, that inner fire I've seen past couple of races. It's like, okay, right, this is good. You can if we can keep this going, keep that fire burning, and you know with that with his talent level, um, okay, now we're making progress. Um, you know his feedback still needs work. He's a, he's a, he's kind of inexperienced with that, but he's working hard at it. Um, so it, 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 what he did at Indy was was really good to see. And the fact that he was mad that he didn't win it, I was, I was like, "Yeah, all right." It wasn't like oh, high five. Um, you know, the, that was great. It was like we had a bit of a sort of well done, mate. You know, he had with his family who were massive supporters of him. It's so cool to see that. But then he was like, "Right, onward." Are there any uh, drivers who have
1: slipped through the net in recent years in terms of getting to uh, to IndyCar? I mean, there's there's been some strong drivers in, in Indy Lights. Dean Stoneman did really well. Do you, is there
2: anyone that you've seen or you'd have thought, God, I wish they'd made it to into the big series? Well, I think time's still on his side, but Felix Rosenquist, obviously is in Formula E, um, doing a brilliant job there. I mean, boy, he's, he's, he's a special talent. He's driven a lot of different cars. He's a guy I look at and think, yeah, you know, his F1 thing didn't happen. Um, but he's, he, I think he's a, a, a big talent and a smart, smart driver too. Um, We've actually got some road car questions here. Um, There's
0: uh, one from, (laughs) again, I don't think this is his real name, Mr. Abel Oldgit. So he's asking about your three favourite road cars. And We've got a question from Stuart um, Gallagher, fellow fellow journo. Stuart. (laughs) What's the best (laughs) road car? Is it a clean question? Is it? Yeah, no, 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 it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Thanks, Stuart. What's what's the best road car he's owned and driven? And of course, the worst he's owned, he's driven and owned. Um, So sort of two similar questions there. I'll, I'll bolt them together.
2: Okay, three best. I mean, Nick knows my my, my taste in cars, I think, as well as anybody. Um, Three that I've owned or three that I would want to own? Let's go the latter because it it, it frees it up a bit. Want to own. Uh, My my Carrera GT, um, I just, I love it. I think it's the, it just, it does everything for me. The, The thing is, three cars is tough. Because I I could endlessly collect cars. You know, people say, "Oh, you know." What do you mean? Could? <laughs> fair <laughs> point. Fair point. It is a weak spot. Um, yeah, the Carrera GT. Uh, I'd like uh the Tona Spider. Um, with suitable modifications, you can play around with them a little bit. Um, Joe McCary's done that with his one. It's pretty sweet. And I don't know. He. Oh, oh, it's got the Carrera GT in there. It's, it's so not just any
1: Carrera GT though, is it? I mean, and uh, I, I believe that if, if you listen out at certain times, you can hear his Carrera GT start up. Pretty much wherever you are in Europe, <laughs> you, can, you can hear this thing start up.
0: What, what, what
2: have
0: you done to it, to? Um, it? Well, subtle, it's just took the silencers off of it,
2: it, because it's got this, the Carrera GT's got this massive silencer box that weighs, I don't know, 70 pounds. That sits behind the rear axle, right at the back of the car. And the Crouch GT is known for being a little too happy. Um, and it sounds amazing as standard. And I thought, well, if, if that's good, then more of that's going to be even better. So we found this exhaust where they, they put some, all it's got is two little resonators and no silencing at all. So 70 pounds gone from the back of the car. And uh, yeah, it sounds like a, a V10 F1 car. Amazing. It's a so, so says, says
0: the man who comments. on Formula E, yeah. and I'm going.
2: <laughs> and I, trust me, I'm going back to Scotland this week, and I'm going to get it out, and I'm going to make some music. It's yeah. it's so much fun. But on the other side of things, I have I got a new NSX that I smoke around London in. In in uh, you put it in quiet mode, and it's it's in hybrid most of the time. It's like you run around in electric motors, and as a Scotsman, and you'll appreciate this. The fuel gauge doesn't go down. <laughs> it's mega. <laughs> <laughs> that
1: is quite good actually.
0: I, I like. that. I've, I have
1: a number of stories that I could I could share from a car of the year that we did a few years back when, when I was with Evo. Stuart Stuart Gallagher was on it as well. I'll I'll save some of it. But there, there's one one memory that that I'll never forget. As we were driving along this same bit of road, doing some photography, and Dario was there, Marino was there. We had a Camaro, what was it, a Z Z28? Z- Z- the Camaro a Z- the one that, I dr- yeah, the, the crazy one. Yep. The crazy Camaro, which the front tyres were 305, the front tyres were 305. Um. Mm. So we're doing photography, you know, trying to be grown up and sensible and everything like that, and then Dario disappears off with uh, Merino. I go off in something else, a hot hatch or something, mm. go up the road go over a crest coming in the opposite direction, <laughs> <laughs> Dario and Marino, and uh, I just, these, these two look like schoolboys just absolutely laughing their heads off <laughs> as this thing was kind of just, yeah, just, just slightly above the surface of, of the ground. It was a very um, aggressive bump. It was, it was a very <laughs> bumpy road, I have to say, yeah, um, but I just, I, I nearly went off the road laughing at these, oh these two God. coming the other way. It that was, was, it was hilarious. hilarious wasn't it? Yeah. We were serious journalists, though. We were having a very serious uh, time, and yeah, it was yeah, it was all, all for the benefits of the uh, Car of
0: the Year test. North course. Coast Five Hundred, what? North a Coast Five Hundred, absolutely, yeah, what a got road. Got to get back up there this year. Yeah. Yeah. I still haven't done that, which is what I've kind of I think I've driven all the roads separately, but just never done it all all in one. Stunning, one-er. Yeah. stunning, good, yeah, wonderful, yeah. Um, So I'm uh, just going to turn to the world of sports cars because uh, I haven't talked about it too much um tom alum here is asking how close did you get to driving at lamar and then below that someone commented saying uh porsche 919
2: 2014 2015 i think it would have been right yeah yeah Yeah. um it was there was no contract signed but um i'd gone i'd gone to to visac in 13 early 13 actually i'd gone there to um well, because I got to go to Vaisek, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> don't need an excuse <laughs> exactly. Um, so I went and and was chatting with Wolfgang Hats, who'd be who'd become a friend, and 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 um, Andreas and and the and the guys running the teams there. And it was just—I mean, they didn't even have the the simulator up and running. They had an LMP2 car in the corner that they were starting to test parts on. It was very early days, and um, Weber and I had talked about it quite a lot. Sort of saying, "Would oh, you fancy doing that? Oh yeah, I'd love to do it. Yeah, okay, well let's." And we sort of made it happen um b- and it looked I wanted one more year to do another go indie in 14 and they wanted some some time to sort of work out what their, their programs were going to be but we said right 15 we'll uh, let's let's work towards that let's get it done and um unfortunately the crash happened and and that was it but to to, to race at le Mans would have been fa- fabulous i mean yeah i look back and i think think of all the cool things i got to do more than i ever thought i would but to race at Le Mans would have been, would have been something special. Went there last year, um, watching Marino and Dixon and those guys. Been there a number of times now and it was just a f- great race. And uh, up, in my opinion, this is my opinion, people say, well, it's up there with Indy 500 in, in, in terms of uh, how cool it is.
0: Yeah, it is. I mean, it's the atmosphere at Le Mans. I can't speak for Indy because I've um, <coughs> got to come t- over. Yeah, I'd, I, had, I still, it's on the bucket yeah, list. I know. Um,
1: we, we just need to go. Yeah, right.
0: never but, look, but Le Mans is, is special. Because um, it's kind no of a, it's, it's a yeah it's it's so much more than the race it's um it's great you know,
2: and th- that's one of the, the things when I look back and I think of you know two two wee boys in Scotland mm. We because he's just short We because I was younger <laughs> than him was Mcnish <laughs> and I and we sit and and to think that we you know I was fortunate enough to win three 500s he he won three Le Mans twenty four hours and you think and look back and go Phew, how, how 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 lucky were we to to get to do that and um, yeah it's um, that, that 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 those are the fun sort of things to when you get to reminisce about stuff like that
0: yeah. 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 Um, I talking about sort of reminiscing and and fun things like that uh, it's, have you got a book coming out because there's quite a few questions here talking about when when it's coming out there's one from um, uh, BD Phillips and uh, they're asking sort of how the book is coming on, but also t- uh, where you're up to in your back editions of Motorsport Magazine. I think, you're d- I think you've got the full compliment, haven't you?
2: I haven't got the full compliment yeah. yet. Oh, poor I'm wife. is go. <laughs> um, filled with it. Yeah, I'm, I'm in the process of building a new garage just now, and there'll be lots of space. <laughs> um, and you know, Nick Mason's my hero in so many ways, but he has got the full compliment of motorsports, autosports. God, he's pretty much everything. Does he? Yeah, it's pretty impressive. Um, the book, to be honest, we just got too busy um, with different things. So at some point we need to revisit it um, and and see. I might do it for one of the anniversaries of something. I don't know. Mm. That would be two thousand, maybe two thousand and twenty-two, the tenth anniversary of the the last Indy win or something. I don't know. We'll uh, we'll see. But I'm still working on collecting my missing uh, my missing years of of motorsport. The early early years are are, are still missing. There's some some in the eighties, I think. So. I'll, uh, I'll get on eBay when I've got time and I'll yeah. fix it.
0: I've, t- I've got everything back to 50, but not everything. Yeah. That's cool. Um, and actually my wife amazingly uh, said yes to having them all up in the house. It was the first box that I unpacked. She was like, was that coincidence or is that you being a total bleep bleep? And I was like, it's, it's the latter. <laughs> you're,
1: you're, you're, new, you're quite newly married though, aren't you? Yeah. Right. So, so let me just give you a little bit of advice. <laughs> if, if she said okay to that, something's coming from her yeah. side, okay, there'll there be an expectation, you know, right, okay. a little bit further down the line, okay, okay excellent, so that's the sage advice, yeah, yeah, no
0: worries, um, anyway, uh, so we we are, <laughs> so we are slowly running out of time, um, and we got uh, another, uh, so I'm not sure this is his real name, um, Silverstone Lewis, I, yeah, um, so he's saying, uh, he loves uh, when you're on the podcast, uh, always fascinating, um, he's talking about the synchronicity of many things that, that, have to happen in order to win a race. Um, can you talk about one of your favorite wins when that synchronicity was very apparent, when everything just clicked and um, you felt the energy and see with your car, your crew, the race, something like that?
2: This is kind of a sick one, to be honest. I was, and the reason it's popped in straight into my head is that I was, we were in Detroit, we were pitted next to Marco Andretti Um, and his pit, and, and Miller, the guy I'm gonna mention, works, on Marco's car Um Miller worked f- for Greg as well So I've known Mike for a long time And I think it was Pike's Peak 2004 Or 5 Anyway I came in for a pit stop And I think I was leading I came in for a pit stop And I went in a little too hot And I hit him And I broke his leg And he got up, he fueled the car, lost hardly any time. Fueled the car, then proceeded to sort of pull the, the, the fuel probe, which weighs a ton. Pulled the fuel probe, sat down on the pit wall, as if nothing had happened. We went out, and uh, he turned to one of the mechanics and said, "Can you uh, get me out of here, please?" He said, "Because I've broken. My, I think I've broken my leg, and if the officials see that, we'll get a penalty." And so they kind of carted him off and um there was no penalty and we won the race. And that just to me there's so many things going into a race of um, you know, all the teamwork, all you know, building the car, building the engines, all these millions of things, but that show, that just to me shows that it, there's a million moving parts and it's but it's about the people um who you're you're in the trenches with that make it happen. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um, so I think as a sort of final question, um, we, we can't we can't do a podcast with you without mentioning uh, Jim Clark, um, and this one's quite a nice one because obviously next year is is quite a big anniversary. Um, uh, what would be the perfect day to commemorate Jim Clark? Um, what would what would you want? What would you be? What would you look for?
2: Perfect Jim Clark Day um, would be probably be in Scotland. Get up in the morning, jump in the uh, the Cortina, um, blat it down to Duns, have a wee walk round the the, the soon to be newly expanded Jim Jim Clark Museum. Um, if you haven't donated yet, please do so. We're looking for funds to expand it. It's going to be mega. And then go to Turnside, pay my respects, and probably head off to somewhere like Alton Park and take the... Mandy um, Middlehurst has got the, the 43 with the, the H16 in it, and he's done such a beautiful job with that. Have that there, maybe the one of the 25s, mm. and of course the 49, um, which is in the country right now. Is it? It's in the country, it's in the UK. And take some laps around own, I think, or or down to Goodwood, and, and do the exact same thing there, and, and, and just... And then have a meal with a bunch of his, you know, his friends. And obviously have JYS there, Bob Dance, those type of guys. And just have a few drinks and tell some stories.
0: Sounds like a great day. I, d- I think um, we've just nailed your next year's cover for you, Nick. I think we have. Yeah, yeah there we go. Yeah. Well, well, um, well, that'll be great trip, yeah. wonderful tribute, Yeah, that'll be yeah. amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Nick, thank you so much for joining us on your thank birthday. You Dario, thank you so much um, for being here for the, for the last podcast and so much insight. Um, it's been great,
2: as always. Can I just say thank you? these have been so much fun and uh, you've put your heart and soul into this and it's been to listen to them never mean being in them to listen to them and from different parts of the world on flights and everything the entertainment for a a race fan like me and uh, somebody that loves the history thank you they've been they've been cool Thank
0: you very much. That's very kind. Um, thank you to Alan, um, who's been here sort of pretty much from the start after our sort of disastrous attempt at recording these ourselves. Um, Thanks, Alan, Alan stepped in and turned them into uh, something much better than they deserve to be. Um, I won't see you next month. Uh, all these guys will. Um, there'll be a new presenter will probably be a lot better than me. Um, I won't. So uh, good morning, good afternoon, and good night. Bye-bye.